Story number one, The Watcher Program, written by Regento. The flashes of the camera in the crowd of aliens before me suddenly peaked before dying down as the speaker invited me onto the podium and made to grasp one of my grasping talons. He towered over me, but I flexed my crest with pride and embraced the tentacle he offered without fear. He nodded in approval and released my talons and turned back to the podium and the audience before us. The speaker was a lapjack. I'd been briefed on them and, of course, his long-scaled serpentine body and the wide, toothy mouth still brought up old instincts of even older terrors. Today, we are pleased to announce the newest species to join the Galactic Concord, he announced. I was honestly taken aback. His voice was much more magnanimous than I would have expected from an aquatic predator species. His words, even though the translator had a certain, um, weight to them, that caused my tail feathers to rattle and shake their eye spots on instinct. We welcome the Obulian Mercantile Guild with open minds and open spirits. And now I would like to give the floor to the Obulian representative, Madden Shukai. The floor is yours. He continued slithering to the side and bowing his head respectfully so that I could step up to the podium. It took the second for the podium to adjust to my lower height, and I would be lying through my beak if I said that I wasn't screeching with nervousness on the inside. But I had a job to do for the guild, and my pride of Zanopulian would see it through. Things were about to get very interesting and, with any luck, very profitable. Thank you, Speaker Koku. This is an honor to be accepted so readily into the great galaxy. My people, I am sure, as yours, often wondered if we were alone in the universe, and often fantasized about what wonders we would find when we began expanding to the stars. My speech was well rehearsed, and as I spoke I took my time to gauge the reactions of the beings around me, more specifically the speaker. Koku seemed to be enjoying himself, but there was a slight glaze to his eyes that seemed to indicate that none of my speech was anything that he hadn't heard before. And what wonders did we find, from the grand arcologies of the old world to the megastructures that serve as diplomatic and commerce centers of the entire known galaxy? In truth, the galaxy that we found waiting for us when we first broke the barrier of FTL travel was far beyond our wildest dreams. I continued my nervousness building as the moment of truth approached and the metaphorical bomb was about to be dropped. The Galactic Concord has done well to provide it for every species and government that make up its membership, with projects like the mind-boggling grand terraforming campaign, the Watcher program, and the ongoing relief efforts that the Kantari Republic. Response from the crowd was not what I expected. Shock, confusion, or silence would have been expected, but instead laughter filled out. I couldn't let this phase me. I had to recover and figure out what had happened. Did, did I say something strange? I asked, cocking my head to the side in a well-feigned ignorance. Koku spoke. Deep, soothing voice was loud enough to be picked up by the microphones before me. No, no, Madam Shikai, your speech was excellent and moving, and you should be proud of it, but uh, your mention of the Watcher program is what has everyone laughing, he said, giving me a knowing smile as he saw through my acting. I suppose I must commend your government's ability to gather information, but better efforts should be made to differentiate fact from fiction in the future, he said, this time giving me a more genuine smile and chuckle. Oh, 
I began my dejection more genuine this time. If the information that the high merchants were able to gather was true, it's just that uh, we found some correspondence with an individual named Jack. Coco's eyes widened, but only for a second as he tactfully cut me off from saying more. Representative Shikai, the Watcher program was never put into action. It was proposed over 750 cycles ago and was unanimously voted against. And never has another vote been put towards it, he stated a matter-of-factly. And the crowd chuckled in agreement, except the subtle edge in his voice made every nerve in my body scream for me to run. I'm not sure where you've gotten your information, but the Watcher program is little more than a conspiracy theory based on an ancient proposal from a panic concord that was still recovering and scared from a war with an extragalactic threat. His voice was calm and reassuring, as if trying to correct a misguided hatchling, but what he said had a different meaning to me and anyone else who knew the truth. Don't say another word, and by all the wealth of Opiolian, he was convincing. Time for some damage control. I apologize for my ignorance, Speaker Cuckoo. I hope I have not offended. Perhaps we can clear this misconception up later. I said, hoping that the one he heard was, I'm not a threat, but this isn't over. Course, Representative Shikai, it would be my pleasure, but that must wait for a later date. For now, let us simply enjoy the celebration of your species joining the Concord. He said and placed one of his tentacles gently on my shoulder before slithering off to the reception hall and the banquet that was awaiting us. They're hiding something, I stated, sitting down in front of the high merchant Dubois. Well, obviously, he responded, they're hiding the wealth of forsaken watcher program, he added with a sigh, leaning back in his chair, his blue feathers in stark contrast to the red of the chair that he sat on. We may be new to the great galaxy, but the Concord are fools if they think us new to politics as well, he said, more to himself than to me. In any case, you did very well, Representative. The Grand Merchant was most pleased with the response we received. You should be expecting a promotion in your near future. That grabbed my attention. A promotion? An honest-to-profits promotion? And from the Grand Merchant herself, no less. I was about to speak my thanks when there was a sudden knock at the door. Expecting someone, I asked, and Dubas shook his head. A second, slightly more forcible, but still polite knock came then. Dubas then sighed, come in. The being that stepped through the door shocked both of us. My beetle, pointy-eared, deep violet eyes, full of skin save for the top of his head, the lithe and elegant form, and from an unmistakable presence marked for arrival of his nobian in a black suit and a red tie. The door swung shut, seemingly of its own volition, after he entered. Psionics, I thought, as the male's nobian took a step forward and spoke. My employer would like to meet with you, the representative Shikai, if you accept these conditions, that is. I sat slack-jawed, and Dubas was in a similar state. It took me a moment to collect myself enough to speak. D d does the Zenobian government wish to establish a more meaningful relationship with the Opilian Mercantile Guild, then? I asked, my crest rising in excitement as a representative of the current galactic superpower stood before me. Perhaps they do, Madame Shikai. Perhaps they do. However, I serve neither the High Council nor the Queen. He responded, his words are both disappointing and highly thought-provoking. 
Zenobians are an amicable people, but secretive in their own ways. It's rare for a Zenobian would rise to the rank that he was able to walk into an office of a newly joined nation's representation on a whim of their employer. Then, who might the request be an audience with us? The Watcher, he responded, making my blood run cold and my feathers shake in sphere. The stunt you pulled in the Galactic Concord reading, and they are no doubt currently debating on where in the galaxy you've managed to learn my employer's name. But my employer, thank the Queen, has a much cooler head. He was quite amused, to say the least. The Zenobian stated, smiling warmly and chuckling as though amused by thy hatchling's antlicks. I am Merchant Dubas, and I sat silently in a rather undignified state of shock as his words sunk in. We'd expected a response such as that, but never in my wildest flights, and I expected it to come so soon. I turned to Dubois and managed to force my crest back down. I am Merchant Dubois. Please tell me that you were recording our conversation, I said, making the Zenobian behind me laugh heartily and shake his head. Unfortunately, Dubois did likewise, and my heart sank. Do you not feel too dejected? All devices capable of recording in this room were already disabled before I knocked on the door. There is a very good reason that what your program is seen as a conspiracy theory by the general public. Do you have any idea the panic that it would sweep through the Concord if the citizens found out a single individual held that much power? It would be chaos. But, uh, while my employer would have liked to wait for your civilization to settle into the galaxy for a bit longer, you seem to have forced his hand. Very well played of you, he said, making panic rise in every feather of my body and puff out in a shiver ran down my spine. The gravity of what I had done was beginning to sink in. When the high merchants found proof of the Watcher program, they'd assumed it to be more of an open secret amongst the established registers of the Galactic Concord. But, if the Zenobian said it's true, it's a secret of the highest magnitude that only the highest ranking of government officials knew about, and I'd squawked about it openly, and almost exposed critical information at that. It suddenly felt as though I was walking on quicksand. You mentioned conditions? I asked, my voice trembling in fear that I hoped was misguided. I did indeed, and I'm glad that you brought the subject up. The conditions are as follows. If your public was made aware of your findings, you must release a statement telling them that they were made in error. Additionally, you will need to destroy any physical or digital copies of whatever correspondence you mention that forced Speaker Cuckoo to intervene so violently. And lastly, you must agree to keep any information you learn hereafter a secret from all but the Grand Merchant, the High Merchants, and yourself. Complete surrender, then, I asked, making the Zenobian chuckle and nod. And if we refuse, I asked, after a long pause, then your species will never meet with the Watcher, and the rest of the Concord will make every effort to discredit your government should you try and reveal any more information. Your species will be relegated to just another overly paranoid mercantile empire, and your profits will surely suffer in such a designation. Th th that's it? The high merchant of our question all said, if we refuse to continue to lie and no further sanctions will fall upon our people than a paranoid reputation and a loss of political power. He asked, thoroughly dumbstruck by the lightness of the punishment. Certainly. What were you expecting? War. 
What government would go to war over little more than a paranoid belief in an ancient and baseless conspiracy theory? He said, his voice sickeningly sweet with an edge to it, not unlike what I heard in Cuckoo's voice, meaning was clear. Nobody will ever believe you. Hi, merchant, what would you have us do? I asked, my voice shaking. How much time do we have to decide? Duba said. You have three of your hours to decide, at which point I'll receive your answer only from Madame Shikai, and if the answer is favorable, I will take Madame Shikai to meet the Watcher. I will be waiting aboard my ship, the XVF Minimus, he said, and the door opened and let him out on its own. As the door closed behind him, the Zenobian was both breathed in the sigh of relief and sunk into our chairs. I'd heard about the stories, but meeting the Zenobian in person is just as nerve-wracking as they say. At least, it didn't feel like he tried reading my mind, I said, and Duas made a noise of affirmation. After that, we sat in silence for a long while, simply absorbing what had been said. Two hours of my first meeting with the Grand Merchant herself later, I found myself aboard the XFS Minimus. It was truly a marvel of a ship. And the architecture, yes, architecture as it appeared to be made out of stone and mortar rather than alloys, ceramics, and plastics that it was actually compromised of, was a sight to behold. From what I was told, it was modeled after an ancient Zenobian legend of a flying castle and a false stonework. Holographic braziers and ancient-looking artwork and tapestries only added to its beauty. And its owner, the Zenobian that met me earlier, whose name I only just discovered, was Gaius Triesel. He was more than happy to explain the legend and the artwork to me. In fact, he was radiating pride in his vessel as he spoke, which, as he was a psionic, had quite an intoxicating effect on me till he corrected himself. So, that is the story of the flying citadel Minimus, but I feel that you have more, uh, pressing questions than an explanation of my culture stories, he said, an amused smile on his face as he recovered from the second-hand emotions flooding my system. Yes, 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 although the story was fascinating, Sir Triesel, you are correct in assuming that I am interested in more of your employer now than you have finished telling it, I replied, trying my best not to offend. But, of course, he is a fascinating individual, after all. I would be more surprised if you didn't have questions. He said as a fork's wooden door slid open and we entered the bridge. The room was laid out in a similar fashion to most bridges I'd seen. The command chair, or in this case a throne, sat in the center of the room as several crew of various species, manned ancient and mystical-looking consoles of forked stone, wood, and crystal. The crew paid us no mind as Gaius walked to his seat and I followed. As soon as he sat down, however, the crew began filling out the bridge and presumably back to their quarters or to one of the ship's common areas. We will not need them for reach our destination. They are not privy to the same information as you and I, he said after the last of the crew left and the doors closed and sealed behind him. Nor will they ever be so. I will suffice as the pilot till we reach our destination. I blinked and tilted my head in confusion. Not even the crew knew the Watcher program was real. What had I really gotten myself into? Starting to make some realizations, I see. You needn't worry. You aren't in any danger. It's simply a matter of security. 
One does not hide something as important and as powerful as the Watcher program for over 750 cycles without being cautious. I see. I did want to ask about that, actually. How could a single being be granted so much power without ever abusing it in 750 cycles? Gaius laughed at that. Like I said, the Watcher is a fascinating individual, but I suppose the true answer to that question is that he has no need to abuse his position. He doesn't need to. What exactly do you mean by that? I asked. The answer I received only adding to the list of questions, although I suspected that was an intentional on Gaius's part. You'll understand once you meet him, he said with a chuckle. Definitely intentional. I decided that I was asking Gaius for answers would only leave me with more questions. It won't be long, he said, motioning me to take a seat at the open chairs. I did so and watched as he closed his eyes and the ship's system sprung to life. Buttons were pressed, switches were flipped, and a blast shielding was lowered all over the window save for the bridge. A curious course in the middle of the interplanetary nowhere was set. Soon thereafter, the ship slipped into hyperspace without so much as a shudder. I sat in silence as we travelled. It was a sure jump, to be fair although it made sense to me that the time that the Watcher's headquarters would be so close to the capital and in a place that nobody would ever go searching intentionally. But when we arrived instead of a massive sprawling station that I was expecting, I was greeted by an empty starscape. I was about to open my mouth to say something when I saw the telltale flashes of light made by six ships dropping out of hyperspace. They were long, two-pointed needle-like things with a dodecahedron at the center of their bodies and no visible windows. They were arranged in a hexagon pattern that looked too precise to be real. Soon after they appeared, the console before me measured a truly mind-bogglingly large amounts of energy coming from each of them, followed by all of them firing what looked like lasers at the exact center of the formation. I watched in awe at what could only be a gateway entrance from between them, and an honest prophet's mobile gateway. The physics behind such a feat were generations behind any of the Concord's members, and could change the face of warfare, trade, exploration, everything. As soon as the gateway was stable, we moved towards and eventually through it. What greeted me on the other side was again not a massive sprawling station, but was instead a star system. I checked the crystal monitor before me and found that it was a star system that only had one planet and its moon. It looked strangely subfamiliar, even though it lacked all but one major-looking city on one of its poles. It was to my surprise once again that we did not make our way to the city. Instead, our shuttle touched down on the forested area with a simple stone path leading deeper into the woods. As I stepped off the shuttle, I noticed that the gravity of this world was a bit higher than the galactic standard, but not uncomfortably so. Just follow the path, the Watcher is waiting, was all the advice that Gaius offered before closing the door to the shuttle behind me. With nowhere left to go, I sighed and began trotting down the long path. Birdsong filled my ears and I spied several small, furry and delicious-looking mammals scampering in the trees. I found that it was pleasantly warm, but still a bit chilly compared to the deserts of Oprilon. After a bit of walking, the forest gave way to a well-manicured clearing containing several rows of stone sorts of vine and several perfectly placed grids of several types of trees, 
distinctly different from those surrounding the forest. The path continued through the fields and ended in a large stone wood manor in the distance beyond. As I walked through the fields I noticed the small yellow insects flying peaceably by, pollinators by the looks of things as I watched them dip and cling onto the flower after flower. I also spotted several spherical robots tending to the fields and carrying large clusters of purple and green fruits back to the mansion. Reaching the mansion, I discovered by looking through the windows that there was much less space than I had originally given it, as much of the interior space was used as a high ceiling support by large wooden beams. Artwork and pictures of various landscapes and starscapes littered the walls from what I could see, and large bookcases sat on either side of the window that I was looking through, both filled completely with books of all sorts and even a few ancient-looking scrolls. I ceased my peeping and made my way to the obviously the front door. There was a small button next to the door at just the right height for me to be able to reach. The doorknob, however, was far out of my reach as I pressed the button with a sigh. I heard a series of chimes sound from inside the house and some shuffling followed by a forceful kind of voice say, Give me a moment. I held my breath as the door opened and it took all my willpower to keep my beak from dropping open as the most handsome, opulent males had I ever seen greeted me. He opened the door with a bit of rope that had been tied to the handle on the inside and invited me in. He had the most beautiful black feathers that I'd ever seen, a rare trait amongst my kind that caused my crest to shoot up with embarrassment as I stared for longer than was appropriate. His eyes were deep blue and matched the blue of the eye spots on his tail. He was clearly older, the skin holding the feathers on his face sagged a bit with age, but that didn't detract from the attractiveness one bit. "'Please come in. Welcome to my home,' he said, his voice like a knife through the sand. Uh, "'Of course, of course. Where are my manners? I'm Representative Shukai of the opulent mercantile group. I have been waiting for you.' he said, making me stumble slightly as I hopped into his home and up the stairs into the kitchen. I noticed that the counters were far too tall for any of my species could use them properly. Perhaps he's here to greet me till the watcher arrives then, I thought to myself as he led me through the dining room and up the stairs to an office covered in windows. He motioned for me to take a seat before the desk, and I did. My chair raised so that I could see over the desk after I sat down. But instead of him leaving the room and the watcher turning around in the chair like some sort of hollowed villain, he hopped up onto the chair across from me and raised it so that the joints of grasping arms could rest on the desk for supporting his head. So, you wanted to meet the watcher. Here I am, he said, making his head swim with implications. The watcher was Obulian. That was impossible. The Watcher program was 750 cycles ago, and their species had only been discovered a mere 20 cycles ago. Not to mention that no Opulian had ever passed up on the opportunity to make a profit on being given such a position of power, which surely be abused by the monetary gain. As sad as the point is to admit, Opulian politics was not so much about whether a politician was corrupt or wasn't, but how fair and open they were about the corruption after all. And then it hit me, an answer that had to be true, the only thing that made sense. You're not a Bullion, not really anyways, I said, making him cluck with amusement as in shaking his head. No, and yes, 
I will give it to you that I am not always been Opulian, but I am now, and at least a part of me was as most times, he said, making my mind do flips to try and keep up with the seemingly illogical duality of the statements. I've simply found that most species respond better to figure things out on their own. That of having a familiar-looking face helps with conversation, he said, and I honestly had to agree with him. Had he appeared to me as a different, or whatever his true form may be, I would have been on guard. He sighed and moved his grasping talon over to play with a model star system that looked similar to the same vein as the planet did. I shook my head and blinked. Then what are you? I asked, making my question as blunt as possible. I'm many species. It's easier that way. To do my job, that is, he replied. To spy on the entire galaxy, I asked, making him chirp in amusement and give a half-hearted nod. Tell me, he said, what do you know about the Watcher program? I balked. He should know exactly what I know. And then my eyes went wide. Without even noticing it, she had begun a game, Aushufala. If he knew that much about my culture, then I might as well play along. Well, I know that probably started a lot long after the Concord finally managed to push the extragalactic invasion fleets back into the void between galaxies. It was started as a way to prepare and protect the galaxy from the threats that would destroy us all, both internal and external to an origin. The original proposal stated that an individual, you, would be granted a certain budget of materials until you could become a self-sufficient operation. You pay no taxes, answer to no government, not even the Concord itself, and you have access to the documents and technology of every species in the Concord. During times where you believe the galaxy to be at risk of annihilation, complete control of the forces as well as full force of every member of species would be ceded to yourself, till the end of said risk, I said, making him nod an affirmation to all the statements so far. But I wasn't done. But you never received any resources from the Concord's member at that time, a fact that can be and has been proven, not to mention that your entire existence is viewed as a crack-safe conspiracy theory by all but the highest-ranking government officials. Furthermore, you have never exerted your frankly godlike political sway in the entire 750 cycles that you have been in power, assuming that there is that have not been multiple individuals to hold your position, which would imply completely true. There has only ever been one watcher, he said, making my beak drop open and grasping squawk escape from my throat as I sat before what was probably the single oldest individual in the galactic history. And yes, my existence has been kept a secret. After all, in the eyes of most species, I am an abomination. He added his voice more of a bit downcast as he said abomination. He sighed and reached forward to set the model star system spinning. All right, I now had much more information and one crazy, nearly impossible solution that was looking more and more true as the game of Shu'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'u'
His talons became arms and legs, his wings receded, his feathers became cloth, and his crest became hair. I shifted my gaze from the model star system to read the plaque on it, in memory of Sol. The Watcher was human. The man before me was definitely an example of a human male. His grey hair was the only indication of his age. The rest of his body looked young and strong. His suit matched the darkness of the feathers that it had once been. His tie, shirt, and eyes matched the deep blue that had once entranced me. And then he sat back down, his chair lowering back to a comfortable position. But humans are, um, extinct. All of them saved me. All of them gave their lives to buy the time for the rest of the Concord needed to muster its strength, to grow its fleets. We fought. We died. Our worlds burned by the thousands so that the rest of the galaxy may live. I suppose we were just unlucky to live on the galaxy's edge, he said, eyeing the model of the soul system with a sigh, leaning back in his chair. How did you survive? I asked, making a smile and chuckled to himself. I didn't. Not all of me, just my mind. That was all the Concord managed to salvage, he said, leaning forward to tell the rest of the story. As I'm sure you know, the Concord saw how fiercely we fought and rushed to our aid as soon as they were ready in what would be humanity's final battle with the invaders. They were too late, but they managed to save a single heavily damaged escape pod. They said that it was a miracle that I was still alive in any capacity. But I was dying, and there was nothing that they could do to stop it on such short notice. He said, his voice quivering slightly as he broke eye contact with me. He stood up and turned away from me to face the window, keeping his hands clasped behind his body as he looked out to the fields. So, one of the more technologically savage species, the Cathar, if memory serves me right, repurposed a neural scanning device to save a copy of my neural activity. And it did so, and I relived every memory of my life as I died. The device worked well. It managed to capture both my personality as well as my memories, but uh, at that point they were just files on a computer. So the Watcher program, I asked, although I could guess the answer to the question, is me, my program designation, Watcher. My purpose is to ensure that no species ever dies like mine did, fighting a threat that they did not have a chance against, even though the most species reckoning I've become an abomination against nature. I endured. I turned down the Concord's offer of material and instead created a nanomachines capable of replicating. I used them to mine asteroids, planetoids, and rogue planets that nobody would miss. I researched and created a clone of my old body, the body you see before you now, with admittedly a few cosmetic modifications. He said, letting the color of the hair shift through every color of the rainbow till it settled back on the aged grade that it had been. And so, I began my work, watching, learning, sometimes sharing what I learned. Did you ever think that it was odd why the Concord had so much information about your culture so quickly after the first contact? He asked, and my eyes went wide at the realization. You were living amongst us, disguised as one of our own, and that's how you... That's how I gather most of my information, yes. I have a hive mind of one, living as countless species all across the galaxy. 
Fathers, mothers, grandparents, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, and every classification in between for every species that I have found. The only exception being psionically gifted species like the Zenobians or actual hive species like the Grek. For those, I rely on my nature as an AI and my nanomachines to gather the information for me, he said, turning to smile widely at me. And so, I have watched for 750 cycles, or about a thousand Earth years, watched the galaxy grow and flourish even with the absence of my species. I have lived a million lives, had a million loves, fathered and mothered millions of young, yet here I am, still human, still waiting, still watching, he said, and his eyes walled up with liquid and happiness and sadness all at once, as he no doubt remembered millions of existences, millions of lives and millions of deaths. But you've never abused a position. Why? I asked, my own eyes tearing up slightly, a quirk of evolution it seemed billions shared with humanity. Because I have no reason to, he said, wiping the tears away from his eyes with his thumb. I can create and destroy as I see fit. I could wipe the galaxy of life if I wanted, but then I'd be alone, he said, as again he turning it to face the window, this time resting one of his hands against the glass. What use is power without purpose? It's not as though I could benefit my own race by abusing my position. I've tried and failed to create other minds, so that I can't bring back either. I've no use for money. My nanomachines and tech provide me with more resources than the rest of the Concord combined. And if there's one thing humanity feared, it was being alone, he said, with a deep sigh shaking his entire body. You know, over the centuries I've given myself a lot of restrictions, but I've broken many of them, he said with a chuckle, wiping away more tears. The first one I broke was no falling in love. But I did. I fell in love over and over again. My wives, my husbands, my sons and daughters. Eventually I fell in love with the galaxy too. All of its beauty has resided within it. I was shocked, not only by what he said, but by the power of the emotions behind it. I could tell that he meant every word of the fiber of his being. Why else do you think that humanity sacrificed itself for the rest of the galaxy? Part of it was the fact that the fleet was all that we had left. Sure, part of it was because we were hunted with such ferocity. Sure, part of it was because we didn't have another choice. Sure, but at least for me... I knew that if we could just hold on one more day, one more hour, one more second, we knew that we couldn't beat the invaders. We also knew that if we retreated, the rest of the Concord wouldn't have time to muster its forces. We knew that it was much like to watch your worlds burn, to listen for the cries of help from entire planets. We didn't want anyone else to know what that was like. So... We decided that we would fight to the last and give the rest of the galaxy a chance to fight back. This time it was my turn to cry. And cry I did. I wept for a species long dead. A species that was willing to sacrifice itself because it wanted to shield the rest of the galaxy like a mother shields her hatchlings from a predator. A species so full of love. I felt the hand on my shoulder and a warm firm against my feathers. The watcher kneeled down before me and pulled me into a warm embrace. That would be awkward were I not crying like a hatchling with a broken talon. But instead, I returned it until I regained my composure. 
He seemed to know the exact moment to let go of me and smiled broadly at me. Now, if you don't have any further questions, how about I treat you to some human delicacies that you can eat, he said, offering his hand. I never had a squirrel before that day, and it was delicious as I thought it would be. End of story